Our topic this week from the book of Genesis comes from Genesis chapter 1. The chicken or the egg, right? The creation week. Right, so if you've ever wondered which came first, the chicken or the egg, we're going to find out tonight. Or, all right. All right, so we've already covered over the last uh, four previous uh, sermons in this series in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, so we did a whole week on in the beginning. And then uh, God created Elohim, Barah, Bar as the root, sun, and the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, the Ruach Elohim, and so there was a whole week on that as well, was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was a whole week on light. And there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And so we discovered what or who this light is. And so if you missed any of those four, uh, they will be posted on shalomadventure.com, and you'll be able to see them there. All right, so picking up from there, verse 5, And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. And so that is how the biblical, the day is reckoned, the evening and then the morning. So when we wake up in the morning, half the day is already gone. <laughs> right, so half the day is spent. Uh, the full day, the 24-hour day, is already uh, basically half gone, or even maybe more than half gone. So. Uh, so it's not at midnight, biblically, when the day begins, but it's at sunset that the, the day, the next day, begins, right? So just in the evening, just as the sun is setting, the sun sets, then the next day clocks over, and we begin the next day. So evening and morning, and so God lets us rest before he calls us to work, right? You have to sleep first and then work, and there's a lot of spiritual uh, implications of that as well. We rest in him, receive salvation in him, and then he fills us with his glory and wakes us up and puts us to work for, uh, for his honor and for his glory in his service. And we'll be talking more about that in, in future weeks a little bit. In verse 6, And God said, Let there be a ferment in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters, and God made the ferment and divided the waters which were under the ferment from the waters which were above the ferment, and it was so. God called the ferment sky, so the evening and the morning were the second day. So the second day, it seems like, well, not much happened, right? He just separated the waters from the waters, right? And that's kind of interesting because water in Hebrew is mayim, and then uh, sky is shemayim. So mayim is within the word shemayim, and so waters and waters separated the waters from the waters, the sky having the waters in it. And again, it doesn't seem like much as we look and, well, that, you know, but uh, it took a whole day for him to do. Uh, but there's a lot in the sky, right? There's uh, a whole lot there. There's a lot of, that uh, Moses didn't know when, it, when he wrote it, but all, all the gas is there and even the water as it evaporates and becomes gas, it goes up into the clouds and, and the, all the other uh, gases that are in our atmosphere that are vitally important in the whole atmosphere itself and protecting us from the sun's rays. He hadn't created the sun yet, so he was preparing the earth to have this canopy above the earth to protect it from the strong sun rays. And so everything just is in you know, perfect order there. And then the first day doesn't seem like a lot, right? He 
he brought light and spirit and, and he was there. So it was like, that was the day they came, right? So like, like when we take our trip to Israel or trips to Israel, tourists to Israel, uh, the first day on the, on the itinerary is traveling there, right? So just getting there, right? That's the first day. And so God coming and, and the light coming and the spirit coming, that was the first day. And then the second day, separating the waters from the waters in preparation for everything else that needed to take place because you can't grow plants and have animals unless the atmosphere is there for them to be able to breathe it, right? And so God knew what he was doing in the right order. Now, some people wonder if God is prejudiced. And I think he is. I think he favors blue. I think he likes blue more than anything else. I think it's his favorite color. And then after that, green. I think he likes green a lot as well, and as we'll see here in a little bit. And then maybe brown, probably the third most popular color that God has put on the earth. Not a whole lot of reds and purples, you know, just a little bit of reds and purples in God's creation, but uh, definitely likes the blues and the greens and the browns. Verse 9, Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw it was good. And we're going to see that a lot each day. It was good. He created these things. And he felt it was good. And so he created the land, brought the land up, uh, separating the waters. In verse 11, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, so the evening and the morning were the third day. So God created the land, brought the land up out of the seas, dried it, and brought uh, grass and trees onto it, vegetation onto it. On the third day, he hasn't even created the sun yet. And so logically, you know, if you're thinking logically, you think, well, you'd have to have the sun first, and then you'd have the plants, right? If you were doing this yourself, or if Moses was just making up this story, I think the human logic would, would have the sun and then the, and then the plants, uh, but this was not fake, right? Moses wasn't just making up this story. He's recording it as he's being shown it in vision or it was being told to him, and that's how he recorded it, and that's just how God did it. Whatever reason, he had the plants first and then the sun, but that's how he did it. Now, each day is a day, the evening and morning. It's a 24-hour day, as we'll see as we continue on this week and in future weeks. Uh, that is how God set it up, a 24-hour day. Uh, because if it was, some people try and stretch it out, well, maybe it was a thousand years, or maybe each day was thousands of years. Well, you can't have plants living even just a few months, uh, or weeks probably, without any sun, right? They would all die, and they couldn't live without mammals, without the interchange of the oxygen and, and, and carbon dioxide to be able to share that together and interact together. So, so it's a 24-hour period. Each day he's doing... Uh, each of these things. And so each one of these, the herbs yielding seed, he's creating the, the plants. Now here is one of the trees that God created, the redwood tree. And uh, me and my friends there, uh, Glenn and Carol Elzinger, I was working forestry with, with Glenn in Idaho at the time. I wasn't married to Carol yet. And uh, Carol came out for a visit and uh, we decided one weekend, 
Carol decided, <laughs> Carol said, let's go to the Pacific Ocean and, and see that. And well, that's 14 hours away. And so we looked at the, what time it was, and we said, well, we have just enough time to drive all the way there, spend a few minutes at the ocean, and drive all the way back in time for work to, uh, on Monday. So, uh, so we went on, we got in the, jumped in the car. Uh, we didn't really pack anything. I think Carol maybe made, made us some sandwiches, and, and off we went. And uh, we made it to the, to the Pacific Ocean, jumped in the water with no bathing suits, and, and then we saw some of the redwood trees and spent a little time among the redwood trees. Now, that is not even the biggest redwood tree. It's just one of the ones we happened to quickly see on the side of the road that was pretty big. And, and so we stopped and, and took a picture in front of it. But that wingspan there, or arm span, is over 11 and a half feet that we are stretched out. And, uh, and so that is huge. And we could still fit another half a person on the end of us before we're blocking the tree. Now here in the East Coast, we can't even imagine something like that because there's hardly any trees in the East Coast that even myself uh, couldn't stand in front of and, and be wider than uh, just about any tree. There's some trees that are bigger than that here in the East Coast, but that's kind of rare. Uh, so this is, and, and, and the redwoods aren't even the widest trees. The sequoia is much wider at the base than the redwood. The redwood is taller in most cases than, than the sequoias. There might be more wood volume in a redwood depending on how it is, but, uh, but they're both huge, huge, huge trees. But now the reason I bring that up is because you see this little picture in the corner, that hand there, that hand is holding redwood cones that hold the seeds in them. And that hand has eight of them in one handful. Uh, and I have right here, from that trip, two little cones from a redwood tree, and the seeds have popped out. This is a 35-year-old little uh, redwood uh, cones, if you wanted to see that afterwards. And we took that back with us, and I brought them to our, our, our boss, Mike, the forester, and, uh, and we said to him, uh, we were hiking in the woods this weekend, and we found these cones. What type of tree do you think this is from? Now, in Idaho, they really only have like 20 different trees. And that's counting even some rare ones that just grow like in riverbeds and stuff like that. For the most part, they really only have uh, like, especially uh, evergreens, less than 10 evergreens, but really for the most part, really only like four. They have uh, Douglas fir, they have uh, ponderosa pine, uh, white pine, and lodgepole pine. That's basically it. That's most of the trees that are in uh, mid and northern Idaho, and especially where we were. And so we brought them that. And he's looking, and he's scratching his head, and he's wondering, and he's getting out of the books, and he's looking at pictures, and, and he's asking us questions. You know, well, what, where, where, where were you guys hiking again? And eventually I burst out laughing. I couldn't hold it in anymore. We told him, well, and we told him the tra tra trip, and that was redwood. But you look at that, this tiny little cone for one of the biggest trees in the earth. That's one of the smallest cones in the earth, right? A typical pine tree cone here in Florida, bigger than your hand, any one cone, let alone be able to fit eight of them in one handful. And so God has a sense of humor. And again, we see the fingerprint of God that you'd think if it was just by chance, it was just happened, it just evolved, the biggest trees would have the biggest cones, right? I mean, they're the strongest, they're able to hold and carry the heaviest uh, cones and be able to then uh, spread more seeds out of each cone. But God put one of the smallest cones on one of the biggest trees. And so the diversity 
in God's creation of huge trees, of smaller trees, and variety of trees, and all the different kinds of trees is absolutely amazing. And all the different ways that they, they, they propagate, just absolutely amazing and beyond uh, comprehension uh, for us to think could possibly just happen by chance. And so the, the fingerprint of God in his creation in the plant world. Then verse 14, then God said, let there be lights in the firmament. Oh, I should mention, as I mentioned, Glenn and Carol, uh, they have seven daughters. And I think of Tevye in, uh, in Fiddle and Roof, he goes, I've got five daughters. <laughs> you know? They've got seven daughters, and they run a ranch together. Uh, uh, all seven of them, they're cowgirls, and they're on horses, and they ride. 70 square miles is the size of the ranch that they operate. And that's bigger than most counties, if not all the counties in Florida, each county in Florida. That is a huge amount of land. Uh, to, and it's, it's mountainous, so it's, that's even more land than just the 70 square miles would do on a flat Florida area. Um, and so they're out there working together. It's absolutely amazing. Glenn uh, writes a newsletter each week about their, their, their interactions with wolves and all kinds of different stuff. It's very interesting. Anyway, okay, so verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the ferment of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And so God created the lights, the sun and the moon and the stars uh, for our benefit and for our enjoyment and for the plants. And he just said it. He said, uh, let there be. And God created and he made these things. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the ferment of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Now in each of these things as creationists, God created, he said it, and it was, brought forth, he made the sun, he made the moon, he made the stars, he made our galaxy for us, and all the perfect balance of it all. Without those, the Earth, all the planets, we have the Plutos, and the, well, that's not even a planet, they say, whatever, <laughs> I still like it, though, <laughs> and, uh, and Jupiter, Jupiter and Saturn, if they weren't where they're at, and the size that they are, with their moons, and in the exact space that they are, if they weren't there, the gravity of the sun would suck the earth into it and we'd be burned up. If the sun was a little smaller or if there was another planet out past us, the gravity of those uh, celestial beings would pull us away from the sun and we would freeze. There's a perfect balance between the gravitational pull of the sun with Venus and Mars on that side and all the others on the other side that keep us in perfect balance. And, keep, and all of us work, all the planets and all the, they all work together to keep everyone in balance as they circulate around the sun and the moon around the earth and the various moons around the other planets. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, it's mathematically impossible for that just to happen. Just a random boom, knock all those things into place so that they fit just perfectly together and don't all, Again, pull each other in, 
in all haphazard ways. It's beautiful symmetry that God has created. And so we believe in creation because the Bible says so, and also it's much, much more logical, as we discussed when we did the talk on in the beginning and saw all the different, uh, not all, but a bunch of different ways that evolution just is not logical, and, and the argument is just too many questions and unanswered questions that, uh, that just the whole theory falls apart, and how creation makes much more sense. And it takes a whole lot more faith to believe in, in uh, evolution than it does in creation. But not only are we creationists from just the standpoint of God created these things and believing in the Bible, but creationists in the spiritual sense as well. That God had the power to say, and it was. And God said, you are forgiven. And it is. And we can accept that. We might still feel horrible about the wrong deed that we did, but we can accept his forgiveness because he said so. And just as quickly as he said, let there be a moon there, and there was a moon, that is how quickly we can receive his forgiveness. Now, he's forgiven us before we were born, before we sinned from the foundation of the earth. But we receive the forgiveness when we confess the sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so as creationists, not only we believe we are forgiven instantaneously when we confess it and we can accept that forgiveness and our record cleaned as if we had never sinned, justified just as if we had never sinned, we can also accept God's power that he has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. And then he has filled us with his Holy Spirit. And then he has given us victory over that sin right then and there. Neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. And with those same words is the same exact power that was there in creation that said to the moon be there, to the stars be there, to the earth be there, to the redwoods be there, and they were. That same power is in God's word when we read, go and sin no more. And he gives us victory over that sin right then and there. It doesn't have to take millions and millions of years for him to forgive us. It doesn't have to take millions and millions of years for him to be able to give us victory over that sin. We can claim his power because he is all-powerful. That's why these are so important that we do these beginning verses so thoroughly because there's so much gospel here. And we believe in an evolution that will affect our spirituality too. And we'll think, well, just, he'll never be able to forgive us and it's going to take me forever to overcome this habit. No. He is powerful and he is all-powerful. And his word is faithful throughout. He says, and it is done, and we can accept that and allow it to transform our lives and give us the victory over each and every over sin. Now, he doesn't change us all at once because he doesn't convict us of all our sins at one time. Right? We'd be overwhelmed. We would just panic. We'd have a heart attack. We'd die. Right? And we just showed us all how bad we really are. So each time he shows us and convicts us and his spirit, the Ruach, convicts us of a sin, and as we confess that individual sin, we are forgiven of that individual sin. We receive the forgiveness for that individual sin. And then he gives us the power to have victory over that individual sin. And so then we don't have to continue in that habit, that addiction, that, that problem, that hatred, that bitterness, that wrath, that anger, that, that worry, that fear. We're forgiven and cleansed right then and there of that. And then he can show us something else and we can gain victory, confess that, and, and give us victory over that. And that's why it's a day-by-day -day growth. And that is why we continue to grow in sanctification. We continue to grow in his grace. We continue to grow closer and closer to him. 
and more and more in his image. But it's not continually struggling and confessing the same sin the rest of our lives and continuing to commit the same sin the rest of our lives. Those are not creationists. Creationists believe he has created a new heart and a new mind. All things have become new. A new creature in the Messiah. And no longer doing those things that were of the past. But all things are made new. And that's what it really means to be a creationist, both from a historical standpoint of God's creating the earth and by faith standpoint, a victorious standpoint, a new being standpoint, born anew in him. Verse 20, Then God said, Let the waters abound with the abundance of the living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the ferment of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good. Okay, so the chicken or the egg, which did God create first? Well, really, the question is not so much the chicken or the egg. The question is really, should be, the chicken or the egg and the rooster? Because if, if you had a chicken and he produced an egg, it's not a fertilized egg, you're not going to have another chicken, and it's not going to last very long. So it has to be a chicken and a rooster, or not just an egg, but two eggs, if it's going to be on the egg answer. It'd have to be not only a egg, but two eggs. One that contains a chicken, and one that contains a rooster. Because if you just have an egg and it just contains a chicken or a rooster, again, it's not going to last very long after that. So it would have had to been two eggs or, or a chicken and a rooster is really what the question should be. And if we think about that, if it was two eggs, well, what produced those eggs? Right? Well, what else produces eggs? Maybe lizards, right? So a lizard would have had a, a have an egg that uh, mutated a couple of married couple of lizards, right? They had to have an egg uh, that mutated a chicken inside or whatever it was that they, the evolutionists predate that uh, came before chickens, and there is, no, there is no missing link between the chicken and whatever came before it, right? Uh, you know, was it the eagle that evolved into a chicken? Well, what was the eagle before that? Or the bluebird became a chicken, right? There's no linking of any of the animals. You know, they say, oh, there's a Lucy for the humans, you know, and a couple other uh, made-up things, but... Uh, but for the, you have to have it for all the animals, right? So whatever came before the chicken, whatever they say, you know, say a lizard again, right? So they produce eggs. Right? So this lizard uh, produces an egg. Not only would it have to produce an egg with a mutated chicken now inside, it would have to produce two eggs, one with a mutated chicken and one with a mutated rooster. And it would have had to do that in pretty close proximity of time, right? It couldn't be 30 years apart, right? The chicken would have died before Mr. Rooster came along. And it couldn't be, it had to be close together in, in geographic, right? You couldn't have uh, a mutated chicken come out of a lizard egg in uh, Australia and another one in Mexico, and a rooster in Mexico, right? They need to be able to get together, right? So this amazing thing, a lizard gives birth to a chicken, would have to have taken place, a chicken and a rooster, and, and, and it have to be enough different, right? The mutation from whatever it was before to, to a chicken, would have been enough different than whatever it was before that it's a new species. Right? Otherwise, it's still just the same thing. It's still just a lizard or whatever, right? So it has to be enough different that it now makes a species that's a chicken. And 
enough difference that makes a rooster. And the rooster and the chicken have to be similar enough to each other, different enough than their lizard parents, but similar enough to each other that they can mate. Because you couldn't have a lizard, you know, a lizard giving birth to a chicken and a lizard giving birth to an eagle and have them mate and, you know, make a rooster. Right? It would have to be similar enough that they're in the same kind to mate and that they are different enough that one is male and then one is female. And if you haven't noticed, there's a big difference between male and female. The difference between chicken and a rooster, there's a lot of difference. So they have to be enough different that one's male, one's female, enough different that they're no longer lizards, and enough the same that they can mate. And not only for chicken, roosters, and lizards, but every single animal, every single fish, every single plant, every single bug, every single everything would have to have that, well, have to have that miracle of mutation twice over, over and over and over and over again to have the mass variety of species and kinds that we have today. That again takes more faith than I have <laughs> to believe. It's so much easier just to believe this simple line. <laughs> that God said, let the, uh, uh, let the waters abound in abundance with living creatures, right? It's so much easier just to believe that this created God did these things and created these things. So which came first? The two eggs with a chicken and a rooster? Or the chicken and rooster. Which came first? The chicken and rooster. Why? It's what the Bible says, right? It says, let them fly above the earth, across the face of the earth. Every winged bird, according to its kind. Right? Even though chickens don't fly. But, but all the winged birds. Right? It didn't say let all the winged birds hatch out of their eggs. They were created as adults. They were created with the ability to swim and fly, and Adam and Eve were created as adults, not as infants, not as embryos, not as eggs. That's what the Bible says. Why has that question gone on for so long? Why haven't Bible people said, that's a stupid question? <laughs> Why haven't Bible people said, the Bible says right here, it was a chicken and a rooster that he created. It would have put an end to that question a long time ago. But I don't think Bible people are reading the Bible. Or Bible people are believing the Bible. Or they're skimming over these verses. It's very clear which came first. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters of the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Now, if uh, little Jimmy was in school and he biology class and he raises his hand, Mr. Kaplan, how is it that the birds know how to migrate and build nests? How is it that the bees know how to uh, pollinate flowers and build hives and make honey? How is it that they know how to mate? Who taught them these things? And Mr. Kaplan would say, Mother Nature taught them those things. <laughs> and Mr. Jimmy, little student Jimmy would say, thank you, Mr. Kaplan. That is very helpful. 
and they'd go on with their class. Now, what would happen if Jimmy asked that question and teacher Mr. Kaplan said, oh, the Heavenly Father instilled that into each of those animals? He'd lose his pension, he'd be fired, <laughs> the whole school would be in an uproar, the whole nation, the news of all the nation would run to that school and be reporting on that. Unbelievable. Why is it that we can believe, or they can believe, in a mother nature and not a heavenly father? Sounds pretty sexist to me. <laughs> that this mother nature can do all of these things, that can teach all of these animals how to build homes, how to search for food, how to hunt for food, which foods are good, which foods are not good for them, how to do these things that termites eat wood and birds eat seeds and, and fruit, and each one knows what to eat, right? Absolutely amazing. And they build nests and to mate and to hibernate and to build dens and do all the amazing things that all these creatures are able to do. Salmon swimming upstream and all the amazing, amazing things that these animals know how to, much better than we know how to do them, right? They just instinctively, they can do these things. They know how to do these. They don't need a map or a GPS and absolutely amazing. If we're supposed to be the crowning act of evolution, then we should be able to instinctively know how to just travel all those things and not get lost on going to a, uh, down the street. They know. How do they know? Well, Mother Nature. They make people have a lot of faith in this Mother Nature. They won't attribute that to a Heavenly Father. Unbelievable. And the reason is, is because Mother Nature doesn't hold anyone accountable for anything. Mother Nature doesn't talk about a judgment day where their sins will be brought up and that they will have to ask for why they have done what they have done. And so it's a whole lot easier to just believe in just a Mother Nature gave them the ability to do those things. These are scientists and Mother Nature has the answer to the questions of all the abilities and instincts that all these animals have. Pretty amazing. Not very intelligent or scientific, Mother Nature, but very biblical to believe in a loving God that created all of these things. And all for our benefit. All these things we've been reading, he's building this up, he's building this up, the, the stars, the heavens, the, the separation, the waters, the sky, all because he's planning the creation of humankind. And he's putting all of these things in place for you and me. The colors and the plants to be able to fill the world with oxygen. We don't get sunburned. The waters and the seas for us to be able to drink and enjoy everything he's putting in place for his most special couple. Here's a question. If a seagull flies over the sea, what flies over the bay? Seagull flies over the sea, what flies over the bay? Here it comes. A bagel. <laughs> All right. 
Yeah, of course, right? Now there's as much of a chance of a seagull becoming a bagel as there is of a lizard becoming a chicken. <laughs> okay, back to the Bible. Verse 24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping things. He could have left out the creeping things as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> according to its kind, and the beast of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God said, it was good. Verse 26, and then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Right? So we discussed a little bit this, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And we discussed Elohim in that sermon. Uh, so we have definitely a, a plural unity there, us that's very clear in both the English and the Hebrew us and our, plural words, uh, but we have this God as this uh, unified one, this plural one, this uh, more than one that is one. Let us make him in our likeness. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So you created in God's image? You created in God's image? No. We got a split on that. Take a look in the mirror when you go home. <laughs> Is God selfish? Was God greedy? Is God uh, proud? Is God um, insecure? Adam and Eve were created in God's image. You and me, unfortunately, were not. That is why we have to be born anew. That is why God is transforming us back into his image and creating us as new creatures. If we're in God's image, then we don't need to be born again. We don't need to be changed. We don't need to be transformed. Adam and Eve sold us out. And since then, we've been bought into the, born into the image that they became. And we'll get more into that on another week. But God is bringing us back into his image through confession, through the sacrifice of the Messiah to cleanse us of sin, through the filling of the Holy Spirit to change us day by day, moment by moment, bringing us back into his image. And that's the gospel. That's what the gospel's for. That's what God's doing in our lives. But yeah, that's a big fallacy. People think, oh, we're creating the image of God. And, and then they think they're okay and they don't have to confess and they don't have to turn to God. They don't need God. They're in the image of God. Big, big problem. Again, understanding these things, it affects us in our daily lives. So God created Adam and Eve in his image. Now, again, he did such a great job of it. There is still some of the image of God in each one of us. We are still able to, to uh, 
procreate and, and create and do things that God had created to do in his mind and his heart and, and, and God instills in us the ability to love and have feelings and emotions. So there is still some of the image of God in us, but it still needs to be transformed and changed and, and uh, sanctified by his grace. And the evil stuff has to be removed through the blood of Messiah. And so he is doing this recreation. But Adam and Eve were in his image, maybe not looking exactly like God looks, per se, but in the image of the ability of the characteristics of the traits of pure, of sinless, of holy, of loving, of caring, but still with the free choice. And again, we'll get into that in, in another week as we discuss more in, in Adam and Eve and, and their history. That's what it means into their image. He was created in their image with the ability to have dominion over. He had dominion over, God has dominion over Adam and Eve, or originally did, and thus he put Adam and Eve in having dominion over all the other animals. So in that sense, in his image. And there's no indication in the Bible that, that angels have the ability to procreate. There's some indication that they don't. But he created humans with the ability to do that. So various different ways in his image. God blessed them and God said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the seas and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Dominion not in the sense like we misuse that term now. God did not place the humans in dominion over the animals to control them and manipulate them and kill them and stample upon them and abuse them and misuse them and use them just for themselves, for selfish purposes. But to be in harmony with and to manage over and work with and to be responsible for the upkeep and the care of God's creation. That's what it means to have dominion over the sea and, and over the animals in the sea and the animals, the birds in the air and the plants and the mammals. That was a responsibility. And the Bible says that God will destroy those who destroy the earth. There again, will be accountability or how we choose to live. And so we have a responsibility to this earth to care for it and to take care of it. Verse 29, God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food, also to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, and in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So it made the difference in this day. It was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. Now it's very good. He created humanity. He created Adam and Eve. And thus the crowning is able to say it is all now very good. He has finished and everything is perfect. Everything has been made for their benefit, for their enjoyment. Be in harmony together, in unity together with his creation. And it was very good. And he created the herbs of the, the herb that yields seed for our food and fruit for our food. And so God, Adam and Eve's original diet was fruits and grains, nuts and, and green herbs. That was the diet that God planned for Adam and Eve, for humanity. 
And not only just for humanity, for all the animals. All the animals, the lions and the tigers and the bears, oh my, they all were enjoying and eating the herbs of the field. And that's what the Bible tells us will happen in the new heavens, in new earth. It says that the, I think it's in Isaiah 565 or 66, where the, where the animals will eat, including the, the lions and the tigers will be eating uh, grass for their food. And so that's how God created us to be. Then to chapter 2, verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. I think the chapter should have ended there instead of, but you know, they didn't ask me. And uh, so <laughs> the chapter and verses are not in the Bible, but that's where they ended up putting it. So he finished it, created it all. And the seventh day, he rested from his work. Why did God rest on the seventh day? Was he tired? All that work, he was pooped out and tired and he had to take a break? Why didn't he just end it on the sixth day and then rest on the first day of the second week? And have a six-day week, right? It took six days to create and then the next day he took off a day. But seven is complete only because of this, not the other way around. Right? Six would have been complete otherwise, and five would have been, you know, something, the number of man or whatever, or some other different thing. So he could spend time with Adam and Eve. Their first full day of life together. He created them, and then he said, I want you to take a break. I want you to rest your first full day. You've got plenty of work for you to do next week. But right now, take a rest and spend some time with me. And so that's an important part of the week. It's part of the week. That rest is in there as part of the week. And a lot of employees that say you have to have a mandatory 15-minute break if you work so many hours or a mandatory lunch break if you work so many hours. God wants us to have a break within that seven-day period. And he made that seventh day. So basically, he created the seventh day. He carved out that seventh day. He carved out that time for rest, for Shabbat, for Sabbath with him. We can spend it with him. Not just the next week, not just any time, not when we get around to it, but as part of the week. He placed it there as our first full day. As it Now, for the end of the week, to enter in in preparation for the next week, that time of rest with him and Shabbat with him. And again, we'll see that more as we get into the Bible in other weeks as well. And this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now we've been reading God, 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 Elohim, 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 Elohim. And now this is the first time where we have Yud-Heh-Vav-Heh, the Lord God. Why now? Why not before? Why not on the first day, the second day, the third day? Why here? Why now? Well, before he created man, he did not have, he was God, but now he is Lord. There's a difference between being God and being Lord God. The devil believes in God, but the devil has not made him Lord God. Does not allow him to be Lord God. And so all the animals are great and the plants are great. They don't have that 
conscious spiritual surrender to God. They act on instinct that God instilled in them, but not under conviction of right or wrong or good and bad. God created humans in his image with that ability to discern and make decisions and then to be accountable for those decisions. So now at this point, he is now Lord God of all the creation. To spending time with Adam and Eve, communing with them, worshiping with them, blessing them, getting to know them, letting them get to know him. He's now the Lord God in the Bible. A lot of people who believe in God, but don't allow him to be Lord. Don't allow him to show us what is the path that he has for us. What is right? What is wrong? We want to do things our own way, but we like just having the comfort of God being there. Maybe at one time in your life, God was your Lord, but maybe now he's not. Maybe there's some other thing that's more important to you than him. Maybe some other thing that's ruling you and controlling you and controlling your decisions and your life. Maybe it's some habit, maybe it's some addiction, maybe it's some person. Maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a landlord, maybe it's a government, maybe it's a child or a parent or if you're an adult, they're still ruling over you or a spouse. Or maybe the devil himself or maybe some sin or maybe yourself you've made as your Lord. If that applies to you, then the moment when we pray, I invite you to surrender that to God. Confess it. Give it over to him. Allow him to, to forgive you and cleanse you and transform you and surrender your life again to him. If you've never done it, surrender to him now. And accept him as your Lord and God, your creator and your sustainer, your salvation, your forgiveness, and your power to move on. If there's some area in your life where you've been struggling over sin, Maybe the same sin over and over and over again. You know it's wrong. You've confessed it and confessed it and confessed it. But you have not accepted the power of the Holy Spirit to give you victory. You're acting like an evolutionist, waiting that someday, some chance, something's going to automatically just happen to change. And you want to stop being an evolutionist and you want to be a creationist. And accept God's word. You are forgiven. You are cleansed. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Go and sin no more and accept his victory over that sin and become an overcomer with God in that area of your life so God can move you on into the next area. So if that applies to you in a moment when we pray, you can surrender that to him and accept by faith his power. Third, if you've been struggling with the question of evolution or creation and you're seeing more today, that the Bible is accurate, that it is true that God does love us and he has created us. And you wanna accept him as your creator and set aside all the lies of the evolutionary garbage that's being fed to us over and over and over again. It hasn't taken billions and billions of years and you wanna give that over and accept God's creative ability. And just as he created the chicken and the egg with the ability to, for the birds to be able to fly and the fish to be able to swim and, and Adam and Eve to be able to run and, the, and the, the horse to be able to run and the animals to be able to move, he could have created the 
you know, they want to play the carbon dating game. Well, they could have created all the rocks and everything with, with, as adults, you know, with thousands of years built into them or whatever. None of that, again, counts for anything because God created things already functioning and running from the start. That's how he did it. That's what he says he did. It's so important for us to understand. We've spent five chapters on chapter, five sermons on chapter one. And we'll probably spend five chapter, five sermons on chapter two, and probably five sermons, that's what it's looking like, five sermons on chapter three. In a rush, you going anywhere? <laughs> but it's so important if we don't get the foundation right, because it affects us. If we skim over and, and just listen to the world, well, everything takes a long period of time, and it's all by chance, then that's how we will bring that into our spiritual life. It's going to take a long time for me to change. It's going to take a long time for God to forgive me. It's going to take a long time for me to forgive myself. It's going to take me a long time to forgive that person who hurt me. It's going to take a long time for me to change this area of my life. That's how it affects us. But when we believe God's word, we believe in his power. And that changes us in that way. By beholding, we become changed into the image we are beholding. And if we we're beholding a weak God that took him millions and millions of years to do, then that's what we'll become changed into. If we believe in a powerful God who loves us and created all things for us, then we will take care of the things he created for us. And we will believe in his power to change us and transform us. We believe in a God who created Adam and Eve in his image, and that's his ideal and his desire, then we will start moving in that direction to become back into his image. If we have that understanding. How we believe and how we interpret these first verses of the Bible are so crucial to how we live our lives. We don't think that Yeshua and the Holy Spirit came along till two-thirds into Earth's history. That will dramatically affect how we read the Bible. It will dramatically affect how we see things. It's so important we understand where we came from and why we are the way we are. Why is it easier to sin than it is to do right? We're going to get into that. It's all there in the beginning of the Bible. You have to understand these things. How did Satan trip us up in the beginning? That will prepare us to know how to fight against his tricks now in the present. Understanding these first three chapters is crucial to understanding the rest of the book. It's like if you didn't grasp adding and subtracting, you're never going to get multiplication and subtraction. You're never going to get algebra. You're never going to get trigonometry. You're never going to be able to do math. You've got to get the foundation down first. And these are the foundational chapters. We need to understand these and grasp these. And so if you're ready to become a creationist, both by faith in what God's word says and believe his word, he said it, it is. And not just there in chapter one, it's scattered throughout the Bible. If we don't believe and we think chapter 1 was just a, just a theory or, or just, a, just rather a fable that Moses wrote, then we have to take whole lines and whole passages out of the rest of the Bible. Look like Swiss cheese. And that would mean that all these other Bible writers didn't know what they were talking about. So if you're ready to accept God's word and the validity of God's word, in a moment when we pray, ask God to remove out of you all that evolutional stuff. That's it. It's more than just a, oh yeah, okay. It's got to take God's power to remove it. It's so ingrained in us over and over and over again. Satan doesn't want us to believe in a creator God. It's a, his attack. And so, the moment we pray, you can ask God to just cleanse you of that, to fill you 
for the right understanding and a right life as creationists, new creatures in him. And if there's some area in your life where you are still struggling with something, surrender it to him and allow him to power you, empower you and change you and recreate you back into his image in that area of your life. Let him work his might and his power in you and through you. Maybe there's some other area today that maybe you're just praising God. Maybe you're just seeing all these wonderful things that he's created and you're envisioning and you're talking about the birds of the air and you're seeing that in your mind's eye and the fish, the amazing fish out there. We haven't even seen everything out there. And heaven, new earth, we'll be able to swim with them. It'd be wonderful. And all the different plants that he's created. I mean, you just want to thank God for the wide diversity of creatures that he has made for our enjoyment, all the various colors and smells and textures and some with needles and some with leaves and some evergreens and some deciduous and deciduous it's absolutely amazing even the creepy things that crawl around they dig down the earth and they make air for the roots of the trees to grow they all work together they all have a purpose and they all have a plan it was all good in the very beginning mosquitoes didn't suck your blood they were vegetarians also right <laughs> so it was all good in the beginning <laughs> Till we get to chapter 3. But it was all good then. <laughs> and it will be all good in the new heavens and the new earth. And you want to praise God and thank God and look forward to that and claim that. Lay hold on that because of God's sacrifice on our behalf. Then in a moment when we pray, you can praise him for what he has given. And still the fingerprint of God that we can still see in the various things of his creation. And as we look forward to the new heavens and new earth. So let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, ruler over all things, creator of all things. On this one little planet, on this one little galaxy, this one little solar system, and all the others out there, you are awesome and way beyond our comprehension. And we're thankful that you've given us a little window to help us to understand a little bit of how you created this earth and of your mighty power and your mighty love for us in our behalf. So Lord, do work in our lives and recreate on us new hearts and new minds. Put the mind of Yeshua in us. Write your laws into our hearts and minds. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Convict us of sins and cleanse us through your sacrifice and transform us by your grace. Bring us into harmony with you, into unity with you. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for giving us all these things. Thank you for your love. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.